0: Boy, that's a bright light. I got these sunglasses, or my glasses on that'll ch- get darker as I go, so I'm sorry about that. You know, so Pastor Stephen's not here. You know, it doesn't surprise me when he assigned uh, me the text for today's message. I just kind of felt like he did not want to preach it. <laughs> now, you know, I can say that because he's not sitting over here smiling at me, but I just felt like it was one of those texts that he wanted to avoid, and no, I don't want to join our network here. All right, so I ask that you would open up your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's where we will be today is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and while you're doing that, I'm turning off Wi-Fi so it doesn't keep asking me for a password got to love technology. So last week, Silas was here. Remember Silas, a missionary from Mongolia? And he started off his sermon, and one of the things he started off by saying is the importance of a good introduction. And that was what he really wanted to do. And, And normally, my introductions are fairly lengthy, when I go to preach, but you know what? This morning, here's my introduction. Hold on, we're in for a wild ride. You got that? Hold on, we're in for a wild ride. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14 begins with these words. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Well, maybe we'll just pause there for a moment. Anyone want to come up and preach these verses today? I mean, Pastor Stephen's got a sense of humor. For 11 years, I was a pastor in the Assemblies of God, a Pentecostal denomination, before joining the SBC for five years as a pastor. He's just got a wicked sense of humor. But back in chapter 12, Pastor Stephen preached that sermon. I don't know if you remember. But back in chapter 12, the beginning of that chapter, it says, now concerning these gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. That's where Pastor Stephen started this long dialogue in the book of 1 Corinthians where Paul addresses these spiritual gifts that he does not want people to be uninformed about. He doesn't want them to be confused about these spiritual gifts. He doesn't want these spiritual gifts to divide people. So back in chapter 12, Paul starts teaching about the spiritual gifts. And he spends a lot of time on it. Pastor Stephen preached a sermon on chapter 12 from it. Deacon Fahey, and I'm saying Deacon Fahey instead of Paul Fahey because I don't want you to think that he wrote 1 Corinthians when I say Paul a lot. But Deacon Fahey (laughs) preached a sermon from chapter 13, which is still addressing these spiritual gifts. And I'm going to preach the first 25 verses in 1 Corinthians this morning which address spiritual gifts. And Pastor Steven's going to finish it off next week if he's back from Texas by then, if his flights don't keep getting delayed. Um, and he'll finish it off. That's a lot of discussion so that we would be informed about these things. Now, in chapter 14 today, and Paul takes a whole chapter basically to address two spiritual gifts. The gifts of prophecy... And the gifts of tongues. Believe me, believe me, over the last 16, or over the last 18 years, in the first which were 16 years in ministry, I saw a lot of confusion and misunderstanding concerning these two gifts, prophecy and tongues. So when Pastor Stephen back in chapter 12 referred to those two gifts as the tag team of misunderstanding. I think he hit the nail on the head. There can be a lot of confusion. And apparently Paul, the Apostle Paul, saw that the church in Corinth was confused and misusing these two gifts as well. So in chapter 14, he has an awful lot to say about the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. Now, Paul knows the church in Corinth quite well. I mean, he has left that church about five to seven years before this, and he had been a member of that church. He had founded that church. He had been there for 18 months. So he's there for 18 months. Then he leaves for five to seven years. Now, did he forget about the church? No, because over those five to seven years, over that period of time, once Paul left Corinth, he and Corinth began to write letters back and forth to each other. So 1 Corinthians is kind of not named properly. It's the first one we got record of. But 1 Corinthians is really a letter responding to questions that the Corinthians asked Paul in their last letter that they sent to him, which was a letter asking things about the letter that Paul had wrote before that. We don't even know how many letters Paul and the Corinthians exchanged with each other. So right there is a good reason why... Chapter 14 concerning prophecy and tongues is very confusing. I mean, we are coming in at the middle of a conversation, and we don't know, it's, it's a couple-year conversation maybe. We're coming in at the middle of a conversation. We don't know what was written before. We don't know what Paul and experienced when he was, when he was in Corinth for those 18 years. We don't have any idea. We don't know what comes after. We're in the middle, and that's what makes this chapter very difficult. Nowhere in Scripture and nowhere in chapter 14 does the Bible tell us the gift of prophecy is, and fill in the blank. It doesn't happen, and neither does the Bible say the gift of tongues is. Does anybody else see why we could be confused about this? Before I kind of give a synopsis of prophecy and tongues, let me just make a statement very clear. There are God-fearing, Christ-loving men and women on both sides of the debate when it comes to the spiritual gifts, when, especially when it comes to these undefined gifts. And that's okay. Why is that okay? It is because... The gifts are not a primary thing that we have to focus upon. Think of a target. In the center of the target, you got the bullseye. The bullseye are things like the gospel, the virgin birth, the Trinity—Father, Son, Holy Spirit—and outside of that, you get these other rings. And in a secondary or in a tertiary type ring, there sits spiritual gifts. They are not needed salvation. It is not the spiritual gifts. Prophecy and tongues don't save us. What saves us is, and you know, J.B., Friday, he asked me, he says, hey, do you want any particular songs that are going to go with your sermon? And I said, well, here's kind of the gist of the sermon, J.B. You just pick the songs. A lot of grace came up this morning. Why? Because God knew that I wanted to make this clarification that it is not the gifts to save, but it is the unmerited grace, the undeserved forgiveness of God that is shown us through Jesus Christ. That is what saves us, not spiritual gifts. Our understanding of spiritual gifts is not as important as our understanding of the gospel. I guess this is my intro now, isn't it? It is not as important as our understanding of the gospel. The gifts take back seat to the gospel in any healthy church. And when I refer to the gospel, I begin first with the bad news. If I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, first thing I do is I go to the bad news. What's the bad news? We cannot learn our way to heaven. We cannot enlighten our way to heaven we cannot earn our way to heaven we cannot buy our way to heaven and every one of our good deeds are not enough to get us to heaven why because when we get to heaven when we stand in judgment upon our death we're going to stand in judgment before the holy and the almighty god the same god who in his word commands us be perfect as i am perfect so right there no matter how many good deeds we do we're in trouble because just one little misstep one little baby lie is enough to rob us of perfection so the bible tells us we have a sin problem that all of us have sinned all of us fall short of the glory of god and all we deserve is god's wrath the just punishment for our sin And Scripture talks about that wrath as an eternal lake of fire. I don't want to go there. Not at all. But at the same time, the Bible gives us good news. The Bible tells us that while we were sinners, while we were enemies of God, that God, by his own free will, chose to show us mercy and to give us love when he became man, In Jesus Christ, he became man for two primary reasons. Number one, so all of our sins that we have committed could be put into his account, could be put on his shoulders and be crucified and punished on the cross. And the second reason he became man is so that he could live a perfect life on our behalf. So he could walk in righteousness. So the good news is when we die, those who have put our faith in Christ, when we die and we stand before that almighty God, that holy and perfect creator and judge of the universe, God is going to look upon us and all he's going to see is the righteousness of Christ that has been credited to our account. And all of our sin, he's going to just look at that and he's going to see a big red stamp that says, paid in full, signed Jesus. So that's the good news. That is what we really need to focus on in the church, more so than spiritual gifts. But yet today, we have spiritual gifts. So let's just real quickly summarize, and then we'll get back to our text. There are pretty much two views on the gift of prophecy and two views on the gift of tongues. On one side of the gift of prophecy, let's begin with that. On one side of the gift of prophecy, there are those who believe that this gift is the ability to foretell the future, to know what's coming, to reveal something that no one else knows. And they might cite as an example Agabus in Acts 21. Agabus is said to be a prophet, and he kind of, sort of foretells the future. He tells Paul that if he goes to Jerusalem, Paul's basically going to wind up in chains. Now, Agabus is a bit cloudy on the details as to how it happens, but it happens he winds up. But the thing is, even though Agabus brought forth this prophecy, even though those around him started pleading with Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul goes to Jerusalem. Why? Because spiritual gifts should never stand in the way of the will of God. Now, on the other side of the prophecy debate, the gift of prophecy is seen as the God-given ability to forth tell f o r t h tell the word of god not foretell forthtell to forthtell can be likened to the holy spirit maybe enabling somebody to preach scripture with an uncanny relevance to the people around them as it is needed at that very moment spirit enabled preaching may take place before a church body like this, or one-on-one between friends. What do I mean by that? Have you ever just been talking to somebody, and all of a sudden all these scriptures come to mind that you just really need to share with them, or you just need to share this truth, or something like that, and at the end of it, they just say, wow, praise God for you today. I think that might be that gift in action a bit. Now, the gift of tongues. There are two Sides to that debate, mostly as well. On one side of the debate are those who believe that tongues is a static, non-intelligible speech, just words that come out of your mouth, that has no meaning to man whatsoever, not even to the speaker, unless God also gives the gift of interpretation of tongues, where somebody can interpret these non-intelligible words. Now, in verse 2 of our text, it tells us that the speaker who speaks in tongues speaks to God, meaning God alone can understand the words that are said. Now, on this, side of the, on this side of the debate, typically those who believe that the gift of tongues is a static speech, they also kind of hold on to that the gift of tongues can be a special prayer language that only the Holy Spirit inside of them and God can understand. So that's one side of the tongues debate. On the other side of the tongues debate are those who believe that the gift of tongues is the God-given ability for the speaker to speak in a foreign language that he or she never learned, primarily to preach the gospel or the word of God to unbelievers. So there we go. There's our synopsis of the two gifts. So as we go through these verses this morning, you have an idea of what the two views are. Now when Paul begins text the text with the words pursue love, when you see that word pursue, what you have to think about is you have to think about a hunter, somebody that's out to hunt and their pursuit of their prey. The hunter is a focused and very determined individual that chases down that which he or she hunts for. Paul is not telling us, when he says pursue love, he's not telling us to just stumble into love, to fall into love. No, he's telling us to chase after it. That's the image of pursuit there. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. I want to note something here. Earnestly desiring is of a far lesser degree than pursuing. Desiring something is not the same as chasing after it with all of your attention, focus, and might. I'd also like to point out that love, pursue love, what is love? Love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, and 23, we read, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, one of the characteristics is love. So Paul's saying pursue the, Spirit, the, the fruit of the Spirit, but desire the spiritual gifts. Now, one more thing, and then we'll get to verse 3. One more thing is that Jesus told us, judge a person by his or her fruit. He never once, and no orange scripture says, judge a person by their spiritual gifts. Never happens. By their fruit. Now, we're going to just read the rest of the text together, beginning at verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, And encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up if with your tongue you utter speech that is non-intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. Verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But I, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Verse 13. Therefore, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he interprets. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to the thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? Verse 17. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with the my mind in order to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. Verse twenty. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in eagle in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the laws it is written, by the people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues is, so verse 22, thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but believers. If therefore the whole church comes together, all speak in tongues, and outsiders and unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called into account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. I'll just let you all take a moment to digest that. There's an awful lot there, isn't there? Anybody want to get up here? Can any, Anybody understand fully? I hope so. Well, you know what the good news is? Here's the good news. We do not need to know exactly what the gifts of the Spirit are to fully understand what Paul is teaching us this morning. I want you to, I want you to know that. We can live on both sides of the debate, Concerning these two primary gifts discussed, prophecy and tongues, we can live on both sides of the debate, and we don't need to know exactly what those gifts are to understand what Paul has just told us and what he has just taught us, and that is because Paul's desire is not to explain the gifts. If it was his desire to explain them, he would have said, prophecy is XYZ. Tongues is one, two, three. No, he didn't that. Paul's desire is not to explain the gifts, but to tell us what the proper use of these gifts results in. What the proper use of these gifts results in. If you were to come up here and look at my Bible, you would see in that passage many places the word upbuilding, built up, being built up, those words in many places underlined in red and highlighted in yellow. And if you look through Paul's writings, you will see that theme going all the way back to chapter 12 that these gifts are to build up. So let us just look at a summary of what Paul tells us about the gift of prophecy, whatever that gift may be. This is what he tells us. Number one, prophecy builds up others it builds up the church so we see that in verses three through five up in verse 12 there are other places but number one point about these gifts is that prophecy being used properly builds others up it builds up the church you know Back in chapter 12, Paul tells us that the spiritual gifts, all of them, are given for the common good of the church, for the common good. Not so one person can brag or show them off. You know, there's a lot of problems that get associated with these gifts when the gifts become the focus and there's a lot that goes on and people start showing off, people start bragging, people start talking about the gift, this gift, that gift, whatever, instead of the gospel, instead of Christ. So that's not why they are given. They're given for the common good of the church for all. Now, what does being built up look like? What does it mean that the, that the church has been built up? I'm going to go to Ephesians because I just love Ephesians, but in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21, we are told this, that when Christ builds up his church, the result of that building up, when Christ builds up his church, the result of being built up is a holy temple. So, in other words, building up leads to holiness in people, which means the church is holy because we are the church. So, being built up leads to our holiness, our, our Godlikeness. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, we learn that being equipped for ministry. So when a church is equipped for ministry, it is evidence that that church has been built up. So being equipped for ministry. In Ephesians 4, verse 16, uh, we, we learn that a built-up church is one that grows as all of its members serve together in love. So that's just a picture of what being built up is. So prophecy is intended to build up God's people, the church. So number one, prophecy builds up. The second thing that prophecy does, in verse 3 it tells us, prophecy encourages, maybe some of your translation says exhorts. Number three, prophecy consoles, it comforts verse 3 as well. The words encouragement, exhortation, comfort, and consolation all go hand in hand. And one one verse that kind of brings that together is back in Romans chapter 15 verses 2 through 4. It says, let each of us please his neighbor for his neighbor's good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whether... For whatever was written in the former days, talking about the Old Testament, was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. In those verses alone, we we learn that encouragement, exhortation, results in the building up of others, and true encouragement is not superficial platitudes, but it is a hope given to us from God's Word and through. From the Christ like sacrificial love of others. Now, hopefully, we're beginning to see that the result of the true gift of prophecy is good. Hopefully, we're beginning to see that prophecy is not about the future as much as it is about what should to be taking place now in our lives, in our church. Number four. Prophecy, we are told in verse 24, it, it shows us that prophecy convicts people. It convicts of sin. It convicts of their need of righteousness. It calls them into account before God. It even discloses the very secrets of their heart so verse 24 if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters he is convicted by all he is called into account by all the secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face he will worship god and declare that god is really among you so what might that look like well one of the things i can just think of is in my years of preaching there were two two of our members a man and a woman And from time to time, they would bring their spouses to church. Their spouses never came to church. The man had an unsaved wife, totally unsaved, and she would come into church, and she would just sit back there and just kind of give this thing and shake her head while I was up there preaching. Uh, No one's doing that today. Thank you. Praise God. Um, But, you know, she would do that, and she was just like that. And then the other woman would bring her husband. Now, he was a believer, but he just wasn't a churchgoer. And it was interesting, from time to time after I preached and these two spouses came, they would go home, and what would happen is their spouse would just get on their case because they have been talking too much to their pastor about them. And the truth of the matter is neither of these two had talked to me about what their wives were doing or anything like that. But the Spirit of God used the preaching of the Word of God to open up and to reveal the secrets of their hearts, and we didn't have to call out names. God knew. That, that might be a good, you know, a good way to look at this, at least from the, the view I'm coming out here. True prophecy can cut right to the chase. It can just pierce you inside because it's the word of God doing that piercing. Number five, prophecy we just read leads to Worship to the knowing that God dwells with his people, to the understanding that God dwells with his people. A good example of this, I mean, the best example, we all know it. It's found in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter preaches what I actually find to be a rather dry, non-exciting sermon myself, but he just kind of rambles on here. Yet, at the end of his sermon that day, we read, Now, when they heard, when they heard Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Well, when the Holy Spirit filled Peter that day and he started preaching God's word and preaching to the people, really what happened is the people at the end of it said, "Well, what do we do to be saved from God's wrath that's coming? And they were told, by Peter and the apostles, repent and be baptized. And then we read that there was this explosion of new believers, baptisms and church membership, all followed by this period of discipleship and fruitful ministry that all led to the worship of God. So these gifts, when they're being used, they will lead to the worship of God. Now, let's take the same approach with the gift of tongues. Much shorter list. Uh, Whatever tongues and interpretation are, Paul tells us a few truths about that. Number one, tongues should never be spoken in a public setting unless a known interpreter is present so that the church can be built up. So if you have the gift of tongues, Paul's basically saying, be quiet unless you know that there's a known interpreter interpreter there in fact next week i think peter's going to address that verse in particular paul's not trying to shoot down tongues because if you remember in verse 18 he says i thank god i speak in tongues more than all of you paul just wants corinth to know that the gift of tongues is to be used at the proper time in the proper place and verse 22 may actually give us some insight into what that is the proper time the proper place Verse 22 tells us, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign for unbelievers, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So tongues is for the unbeliever, prophecy is a sign to the believer. On the day of Pentecost... In Acts chapter 2, the gift of tongues and interpretation is given. We're told that the Holy Spirit fills Jesus' disciples, and they begin to address the crowd in tongues in, in other tongues. And afterwards the crowd says the following: Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us that that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, of uh, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. I, I just counted at least 16 native languages in that crowd that were present that day. Tongues was truly a sign for the unbelievers in that crowd when they heard the works of God, the mighty glories of God proclaimed in their own native language from people that did not speak those languages. I mean, that might be the reason why Paul says, I speak in tongues more than any of you, because in his three missions trips, he went through countries that Were almost, i think one of the commentators said almost a hundred languages were present native tongues yes they spoke greek and latin often as well but wouldn't have been awesome if paul could go to this little village with this one dialect and proclaim the gospel in their native tongue to show the glories of who god was and his power so maybe that's why paul spoke don't know because we don't have a definition of what tongues is. All right. Number one, tongues are not to be spoken in public, and that includes a church service, unless a known interpreter is there. Number two, without an interpreter, tongues sound foolish and are unfruitful um, to the mind and do not build up the church. Without an interpreter, tongues are said to build up the speaker alone. How tongues build up the speaker, I have not a clue, but the Bible tells us that that happens, so I believe it. In verse 13, Paul exhorts that the one who speaks in tongues needs to pray also to be able to interpret that the church might be benefited. But number three to goes along with that point. When interpreted, tongues may bring forth. In verse 14, we're told prayer. In verse 15, praise or prophecy or revelation or a teaching. Um, all of that can build up a f- church all of that can build up God's people. So there we go. We have five points on prophecy, three points on tongues. I'm just going to leave that to that next week Pastor Stephen can, you know, add more to it because he'll be here, you know, and he'll be preaching the end of this and it's going to address again some of the same different the same gifts and stuff. All right. So as I was going through this, you might have heard that I kind of lean one side to the other. I mean the fact of my my leaning to one side of the debate is kind of evidence that I am a member of the Southern Baptist Convention preaching in this pulpit this morning after 11 years of preaching in a different denomination's pulpit. But you know what if I'm on this side of the debate and you're on this side of the debate it's okay. It's okay. Because you know chapter 14 is not about understanding the gifts themselves, but it's about whether or not the use of these gifts will lead us all to love, will lead us all to turn away from evil, like in verse 20. Chapter 14 is about these gifts convicting people of their sin, presenting to them their need of righteousness, It's about these gifts ultimately calling people into accountability before God so that the church, so that you and I, the church, in verse 20 tells us to be mature in our thinking. These gifts ought to make us more mature in our thinking. That would be the intent, the purpose. And in chapter 14, you know, we learn that this chapter is really not about these gifts and what their definition is. It's about these gifts properly being used in a church setting and in the church gathering. These gifts being properly used to bring God the worship that he deserves so that he receives worship. And next week, Pastor Stephen's going to talk about possibly um, that these gifts do not bring chaos to a church service, but they actually properly used result in order. And all throughout chapter 14, we've seen that chapter 14 is about these gifts building up, building up the body instead of causing division, confusion, disunity. You know, Billy Graham wrote a book in... 1978, called The Holy Spirit. And in that book, he makes a point and he says something right along these lines. He says, you know, I have learned one thing. I know one thing. Neither the gifts nor the Holy Spirit were given to bring division. So there is a purpose, and that's what chapter 14 is about. It's about bringing that good purpose of building up the church, equipping the church, filling the church with love. That's why these gifts are given. Now, as I start wrapping up this message, I want to go back to one word that I just did not speak a lot about. I want to give a little more insight into what Paul hopes is accomplished through the gifts. When we go back all the way to verse 1, I talked a bit about what pursue means, chasing down, you know, being diligent, going after love. But what I really didn't do is talk about that word love there and what that word love is. So Paul wrote in Greek, and there were four possible words he could have chosen for love. So one of the things that's important as we go through passages like this, is to maybe consider, pursue love. Well, what is he talking about? Well, Paul is not talking about the Greek word storge, that, that, that love that we feel towards family members, the affection. Paul's not saying, you know, pursue that affectionate love that you have for your family members. And he's not using another Greek word, the one that we get Philadelphia from. He's not using that Greek word. I mean, Philadelphia is said to be the city of brotherly love. He's not using the Greek word that speaks of the love amongst friends or amongst brothers, that kind of side-by-side walking love as, you know, you and your comrades go into the workplace or whatever it might be. You know, he's not talking about that. He's not talking about eros that love which is a face-to-face love, an erotic love that is is felt between spouses. No, he's using a word agape, and I'm sure you've heard agape. Paul is saying chase after agape. And agape is different than anything else. I mean, we heard that a few weeks ago when, you know, Mr. Paul Fahey got up here and preached from chapter 13, the love chapter, when he got up here and preached from that, we saw that this agape kind of love is totally different than the than the world's love. I mean, just think about this. I mean, the agape love, I mean... What was it? It uh, love. It's, it's a love that is patient and kind, a love that does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It is does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. I mean, that kind of agape love, Paul is saying chase after that love. Now, I thought, now how do we define agape love? I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there's kind of a... a definition of what it is, but how do we even know what agape love is? So I just want to kind of define it as I as I start to wrap this up with uh, a few places where the word agape is used in scripture, and these might be verses that we're familiar with. The first one is 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 says this, by this we know agape. I mean, in your translation, it's going to say love, but by this we know agape that jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers so what's a good definition of agape good definition of agape there is what jesus did laying down his life for another pursue agape Pursue laying down your life for another. Another place where agape is used, 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not agape does not know God because God is agape. So there's another kind of definition of what we're pursuing after. We're pursuing after God. We're pursuing after God, his love. And we are to know that kind of love in our own life. To know it is not just to comprehend it, but to know it is for it to be a part of us in our actions. And John 15, 13, Jesus said, Greater agape has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Again, self sacrificial love agape pursue that self sacrificial love that Jesus that we know is there because Jesus laid down his life for us that we know is there because God is that love and perhaps maybe one more just our favorite maybe John 3:16 for God so agaped so loved the world, that he gave, again, self-sacrifice, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know, back in chapter 12, Paul informed us about spiritual gifts and how the gifts are intended to help the church function, to be the kind of church where there's unity, to be the kind of church where every member is held in esteem and honor, to be the kind of church where everybody sees that they are useful where all, when when one suffers, all suffer, suffer. when one rejoices, all rejoice. That perfect picture of a church, I would have just stopped there and said, yeah, Nashville Baptist, let's just be that kind of church back in chapter 12 that Paul's describing that that all these gifts fit into. But then at the end of chapter 12, after painting this beautiful picture of the gifts working, people working, the spirit working, everything else, he says, but hey, let me show you a still better way. And that's what Paul Fahey addressed. You know, in chapter 13, Paul proceeds to talk about the better way, which is love, that agape love, that self-sacrificial love, that putting others first love. And he says, you know, apart from that kind of love, tongues, prophecy, all these gifts are just kind of noisy. They're a noisy gong. I remember the gong show in the 1970s when I was a kid with Chuck Barris, you know. The last thing we want to hear is a gong. It's kind of like It's kind of like on AGT. Marilyn and I love America's Got Talent, and it's that buzzer, right? It just disrupts things. Without love, everything's disrupted. All these gifts are disrupted. Prophecy, tongues, just noise, background noise without love. And then today in chapter 14, Paul continues that line of, of reasoning by telling us to focus our attention, to apply our energy, to chase down agape love, explaining that the gifts are given not for ourselves, for the benefit of those around us, for the church as a whole, for the common good to be built up. Talk about a beautifully upside down picture. I tell you what, this world, I don't know if you've noticed, the world outside these doors is very selfish. Look out for number one. Can't trust nobody. Got to do it yourself. It's very self-seeking. It's very self-exalting. This world outside these doors is very absorbed in itself. It's all about me, 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 me. Me, 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 me. You know, just listen. Contrast the worship songs that come from here to the worship songs in your popular Christian radio station. On the popular Christian radio stations, it's all about them. It's all about what Jesus did for just them, that little person. Up here, it's about the glory and the magnification of God. I just love that better. Big God, small us. Christian radio, big us, small God. I don't like that. It's beautifully upside down in this church that, you know, Paul, in his perfect world where the gifts and everything is working, it's different than the world. It's upside down because we put others first. We magnify God. We elevate him. We elevate Christ. But because we are so self-focused at times, God gives us these gifts that allow us to do all of that, these spiritual gifts. I don't know, which, which is more beautiful to you? A world where everybody's me-focused or a world where everybody's others-focused? What's more beautiful to you? You know, a world where we just tear down everybody else so we can build up ourselves or a world where we tear down ourselves so we can build up other people? I'll let you decide that. So, What do we do with what I've just preached with the words we've heard this morning? Do we just go home and forget it? I mean, that's possible. We could all just, on the way out of here, just forget it. But you know what? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ like I am, if Jesus has died and saved you, if he has redeemed you from the hand of the enemy, if he has forgiven your sins, then I suggest we do exactly what Paul has told us to do. I suggest we start chasing after that others-focused non-self-centered agape love and that we allow the Spirit of God to use whatever gifts within us that He sees that He needs to use to bring forth that love at Nashville Baptist that we can all just be equipped and go out and serve God. I just say we do that. We, we, we chase after agape love and we desire whatever gifts God would give us so that we too in this place would witness an explosion of new believers baptisms i would just love to see a baptism every sunday up here and and, you know new membership here but if you're not a follower of jesus yet uh i thank you for listening to me this morning and i ask that you remember if nothing else about my sermon if you remember just this one thing if you're watching online if you're watching in here one thing i want you to just remember The gospel is of the highest importance. The fact that Christ died. He was buried in a tomb. God rose him as an evidence of all of the truth that he had spoken, that he was God, and that we have life. I mean, I ask that you remember the gospel that Jesus died for sinners while they were sinning and is willing to forgive. That's what I ask you to do. Put your faith in Christ this morning. Put your faith in Jesus. And if on the if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have one of these, everything I believe comes from here. I mean, it's, it really is everything I believe. Because you know what? If my mind thinks one thing and the Bible says another thing, then I gotta get my mind aligned to this Bible. Because this Bible is everything that God wanted me to know about him. He put it down in writing, he's preserved it miraculously. It's, it's everything, really, that God wants me to know about me, too. And I don't always like what I read about me in here. But it's true. So if you don't have a Bible, and if you're a believer or an unbeliever, and you don't have a Bible, then look on one of those chairs in front of you. Look at the rack underneath. There are some beautiful Bibles there that w- were purchased just for you. So please take them home. And if you're watching online and you don't have a Bible, you know, call this church, and I guarantee you, Nashville Baptist will send you a Bible so you also have the word of god let's pray father there are so many truths so many things we could have gone through so many things we i could have expounded upon in that chapter but i trust that your words were spoken this morning and not mine i trust father that your words speak to us. And I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to what we have heard. Father, I thank you for this wonderful family that is here in this room and for those that are part of this family that are not here that we miss this morning. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your kindness. We all do. We, just, we don't deserve any of it. We don't deserve the blessings that you have given us, but yet you have blessed us and we thank you for that father be with those who maybe have heard for the first time that Jesus came to this earth to die and to die for them Lord be with them open their hearts to receive in faith that wonderful gift and father we pray that you would help us whatever we do uh, we would do so to the glory of your name and to the building up of our brothers and sisters